Hey, Timberline, we're now going to dig into our sermon today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 139. And as you're turning there, I want you to, I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine today that you're going to create your own God. I know, sounds crazy, but just play with it here. Uh, what would he be like? Would he be all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing? Would he be present everywhere, meaning omnipresent? Would he know everything about you, even the dark, the dark secret thoughts of your soul that you don't share with anyone else? Now, interestingly, we actually know the answer to that question because for centuries we have seen people and cultures create gods. The Egyptians created their pantheon of gods. The Philistines, the Babylonians created gods. The Greeks and the Romans and everyone since has created gods. And what's interesting is that when man creates God, they're always limited. And let me just point out a few ways. They're limited in geography. When you go to a new land, a new people group, there are new gods regarding that land. They are limited in power. The sun god has certain power. The moon god, the god of the harvest, the god of the hunt, Zeus, Apollos, all of these gods have certain powers. They're also limited in knowledge. None of them seem to have all-encompassing knowledge, but they have specialties where they know more about certain things and less about other things. They're also limited in their joy. It seems that these gods have kind of this emotional roller coaster that they're on. They're sad, they're happy, uh, they're angry. They always need to be served. And so uh, a couple things I was thinking about, when, when we create our own god, our gods are limited for at least two reasons. Number one, they're, they're limited because they're made in our image. And because we are finite, meaning limited, everything we make is finite. But number two, and I think this even more so, because of our sin, we don't want to create a God. We don't want to believe in a God where there's mystery, where there's unknowns. We want a God that we can control. And that's, that's why so often when we come into the Bible, so many people reject the God of the Bible. Because when we enter into the Bible, we see a God who is far greater and far more glorious than we could ever imagine. He is infinite in power, infinite in might, infinite in strength, infinite in presence, infinite in knowledge, and so much more. And so today we're going to be coming in to Psalm 139. And this is a psalm which, going to, which is going to present amazing truths about God. It's going to dig us deep into what we call theology, our study and knowledge of God. Now, unfortunately, there are many Christians, and maybe you wrestle with this, that you kind of say, okay, theology is for a few people, like pastors and some of those people, but it's certainly not for the masses. And what I want to show today, even with the title of this message, is Practical Theology, is that our theology of God gets lived out in our everyday lives. In fact, it's, it's what governs and shapes the way we live. And so here's the main point today. In Scripture, God reveals His perfect knowledge and infinite wisdom, or His, His perfect knowledge and infinite presence, so we'd be drawn to Him in awe and wonder. And that's what I hope to. I hope this as we come into this scripture today, 
that we just grow in our joy and our worship and our assurance and our love for this God, the God of the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you, go ahead and stand with me. We're going to read all of Psalm 139. Here we go. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The, dark, the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me! They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this text. I thank you for Psalm 139. And I pray that as we dig deep now and we just look at who you are, your infinite knowledge, your infinite presence, your infinite power, and the assurance and the joy and the hope that we have because of who you are. God, I pray that your spirit would give us wisdom, give us clarity today as we study. Lord, and I pray that as we do, we, we come into this word. For those who are listening, if there is a recoiling of their heart and soil because of the uncomfortability of, when we, of learning more about God, I pray that you would draw them to repentance. I pray that you would expose sin and shame in our hearts, that we'd confess it to you and experiencing your perfect comfort and grace and love. Oh, Lord, you are a God like no other. You are the one God who saves, the one God who knows us, the one God who is our present help at all times. I pray we know that truth. God, bless us today as we read and study your word. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, so we are going to just jump right in 
Uh, this is the outline that we're going to follow. Uh, David is going to give us two truths about who God is, and then we're going to look at three just practical applications of what we learn about God. So, number one, God has absolute knowledge of your entire life. Okay, this is what I want us to see. Look at verse one. We, in verse one, we have a very general statement of God knowing us. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. And then in verses two through six, David helps us understand how it is that God knows everything about us. And so one way David helps us understand the perfect, infinite knowledge of God is by using a figure of speech called mirrorisms. Now, mirrorisms is when you use polar opposites as a way of referring to the totality of something. And so I think it's a little more helpful for us just to give some illustrations. So if you look at verse 2, uh, David says, God, you know when I sit and when I stand. And verse 3 says, you know when I'm walking or when I'm lying down. And so by, by mentioning sitting and standing, walking and lying down, these opposites of one another, David is saying, God knows not only these, but everything that happens in between. And so David's point here is that God knows everything there is about you and about me. You see, now at this point, there have been some that respond to when we start talking about the omniscience of God, the fact that he knows everything about everything. And uh, they respond by saying something like this. David's description of God is like some master detective who snoops into every detail of his existence, armed with x-ray cameras and laser probes. He's like the oppressive, all-seeing eye of the big brother in George Orwell's anti-utopian novel of 1984. Again, remember in the beginning, we talked about when we create gods, we don't want there to be mystery because it makes us uncomfortable. And yet, here we have a God who knows everything about us. Now look at verse 4. In verse 4, we read that God knows the words of our mouth before we even say them. Now you might say, oh, is that just because he knows us so well? Is he able to anticipate what we're going to say? No, that's not it. Look at verse 16. There we see that God knows us because he created us and ordained our very days, meaning he has already determined what we'll say, what we'll think, what we'll do when we're born and when we die. You see, when we come into God's Word, He has this all-encompassing knowledge, not only about you and me, but everything. You see, God's knowledge is far greater than we can imagine. He has created us. He knows us fully. And get this. He never learns anything from us. Because he's already perfect in his knowledge. If he was able to learn something, then that would mean he didn't know everything. That would mean he wasn't perfect. That would mean there was means of improvement for him. Now see, this understanding of God can make us comfortable. You see, our, our sin doesn't want to believe in an infinitely all-powerful, all-knowing God. We don't want a God who knows the depths of our heart. We want a limited, finite God who doesn't make us uncomfortable. 
But I want you to notice what happens in verse 6. In verse 6, David says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. David is praising God for his infinite knowledge. Now, why? Why does he does that? Because only a God who perfectly knows us is able to save us and give us the grace needed in every situation that we are ever in. I mean, think about it. Think about when we pray. When you and I pray, we're not informing God of things that he didn't already know. We pray because he perfectly knows us and thus knows how to perfectly provide for whatever it is we need in whatever situation we're in. So the first thing David wants us to know, he wants us to know that God knows. And I pray that you know that God knows. He knows Everything about you knows what you're thinking in the depths of your heart and your soul and your mind. And he knows that our greatest need is his grace in Jesus Christ. In fact, in fact, what I find is interesting is when we come into the Bible and we see this God who is infinite in his knowledge, meaning he knows exactly what is in your heart. What is in my heart? He knows the horrors that are within us. And rather than running away from us, saying, I don't want to be with those people because of how sinful and wicked they are, rather he then sends his son Jesus Christ to the cross. That his son would die for us so that we could be forgiven, adopted into his family. His spirit would be given to us. That we'd be transformed and we begin to be made more and more like him. That's what our God knows does because he knows us. That's the beauty of God's perfect, infinite knowledge. Hear this. It's as we grow in our theology that we grow in our joy of God because we understand he does know us. And in spite of him knowing all of our flaws and all of our weaknesses and all of our limitations and all of our disabilities, he loves us and gives us the grace needed so we could have eternal life with him. So number one, that God knows us. He's totally and infinitely omniscient. Number two, second truth that David wants us to know is that God is present with you at every point of your life. So God knows everything that is about you, and he is present with you at all times. And in verses 7 through 12, David wants us to know that God's infinite knowledge is matched by his infinite presence. I mean, look at verse 7. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Now, David's not trying to actually run from God, but his point is we cannot escape God. There is no getting out of his presence. So whether we, so David, David fleshes this out in the next few verses by saying in verse 8, if I go to heaven, you are there. Heaven could refer to just the, simply the sky or the stars and the moons or even the very presence of God. But he says, look, if I flee to the heavens, you are there. If I flee to Sheol, which refers to the realm of the dead, you are there. He says, if I could grab onto the sun and ride into the sunset to the farthest parts of the sea, God, you are there. And then in verse 11, he says, if he tries to hide in the darkest of night, God, you are still there. In fact, in verse 12, he says, the darkness is not dark to you. The dark is light for you. Now, I want you to think about this. Have you ever played hide-and-go-seek with a small child? 
I mean, it could be a lot of fun, but what's interesting is that when the child is small enough, they, they may take a blanket and they might just throw it over themselves and, and they'll do that in a lit room with you right in front of them and, and they'll think that you can't see them. But while they're in the darkness of the blanket, you're in the light and you know exactly where they are. And so David wants us to know that while we are in the darkness, God is in the light and he sees us. Now, the problem with the illustration I just gave is that it fails at like a hundred points. For one, just think about it. In, in the illustration of the child putting a blanket upon them, the child is under the blanket in the darkness, but we are not. We're, we're actually over here in the light. So while we know where they are, we're not actually seeing them perfectly, and we're not with them. And so, and so David, he wants us to know. He wants us to understand that, that the God that we worship is with us at all times. And so he's going to be moving in to an illustration here beginning in verse 13 that's going to help us know that. But before we do that, I want to, uh, I want to help us understand just a little bit more about who God is and the truth behind what he is saying. So when we come into the Bible, we behold a God that is infinite in essence. So we're, we're going to dig deep into some theology here. So hang in, but it, it's good and we need to know this. He's infinite in essence. So what that means is he has no geographical, no bodily limitations. This is why God is, is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. And we, we see that in like Jeremiah 23, 24. In that passage, this is what we read. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. He says, can you hide from me? No, I fill everything. Now, when God says, I fill heaven and earth, he's not saying that I'm stretched out or I'm deluded so that there's enough of me to go around. Because if that was the case, then, then perhaps when we pray to God, he wouldn't be able to help us or hear us because there wasn't enough of God over here to help us or, or his hearing part was over there and there's only a little bit of God over here. And so he'd be limited in his abilities to help us, limited in his abilities to respond to us. But what we see in scripture is that God is immense. And when we come to the word immense, what it means is that God is 100% present wherever he is. And so when God says, I fill everything, he is saying, I am fully present at every point in creation. So there's no dilution, there's no stretching of God, fully present, 100% potency of God everywhere. And so because God is infinite in presence, it means that his infinite power is always available wherever he's at. And that's the point that David wants to make in verse 13. So notice the word for in verse 13. You see, David wants us to know that God's not only with us in the darkness, but he is fully and absolutely sufficient to help us in the darkness. So in order to help us to understand God's infinite power in in the darkest places, David begins to think, okay, what's the darkest place we could ever be? What's the most helpless, hopeless place that we could ever be 
and he says, in our mother's womb. Look at verse 13. He said, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Verse 14, David says, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Now, many of you uh, are very familiar with this passage, uh, for we talk about it a lot when we talk about the value of the unborn child. And let me say this. Here's another example where just our theology guides our practice. It's because God is with us in the womb, knitting us together after his own image, creating us and forming us, that every unborn child has great worth before God. And because God has made us in His image, forming us with His very hands, that is why we are pro-life. That is why we fight and we stand up for the unborn child. Because they have great value before God. Because we are made in the very image of God. So, let's come back though. Because David is not primarily writing this so we would understand the value of the unborn child, although that certainly is an implication of this text. Rather, the point is that in the darkest recesses of the mother's womb, where we are absolutely helpless, fully and completely dependent on someone else, we have no abilities to protect ourselves, to uh, defend ourselves, to even uh, to even keep ourselves alive. That's at that point that we read God is present with us. And the way he demonstrates his infinite power is by knitting us together. And so when David then says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, he's looking at himself. And he's not going, man, I look good. He's not saying that, man, God made me better than other people. But what he's saying is, look at me. You made this in my mother's womb. In the darkest of areas, God, you formed me, where there was no light, where there was no possibility of help for me. You are the one who was forming me. And so here's what David's point is. And, and I hope you know this, no matter where you're at, no matter what your situation is, no matter how grave, how terrible, how shameful, how dark, how helpless, God is present and he's infinitely powerful to help you. Do you know that? Whatever you're going through right now, God is present, and he's infinitely powerful to help you. Herman Bavnik said, he was a theologian, and he said, God is not present in creation as a king in his realm or a captain aboard a ship. He does not act upon the world from a distance, but with his whole being. He is present powerfully here and everywhere with respect to his essence and power. Hear that? He's not distant from us. He's present with me, with you, right now. Fully present. He's immense. So that he's able to help us in every situation. This is why when Joshua was about to lead Israel into the promised land, God comes to Joshua and he says in Joshua 1.9, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Why? Why, God? Why, when I'm going to this land with all these people who want to kill me, do I not need to be frightened and dismayed? And he says, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Because I am fully present with you and wherever I am, I am able to help you fully. And we see that truth throughout Scripture. 
Jonah was in the belly of a whale. Daniel was in a fiery, uh, fiery, nope, Daniel was in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace. And God was with them all, helping them, saving them, preserving them. And God is with us. Hear this, whatever you're going through, whatever sin you're wrestling with, whatever pain, maybe it's marriage, maybe it's finances, maybe it's work, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's a sickness, maybe it's disease, a disability, whatever it is, you need to know what, what, what the author is wanting us to know, what David wants us to know is that God is present with you. He knows everything there is about you. He is present with you and he is immense. And so he's 100% there and his infinite power and grace and might and love is available there that he would shower it upon you, that you, he would persevere you in your faith. Okay, so these are the two things that David wants us to know as we dig into Psalm 139 about God. God knows everything there is about you and God is fully present at all times with you. So how does that now get played out? So let's look and see how David responds. And here's a hint. When we're in the Psalms, the way the psalmist responds is the way that you and I are to respond. And so let's begin. Number one, a theology of God fills us with joy and wonder. Look at verse six. David breaks out into praise. Look at verse 14. David breaks out into praise. Look at verse 17. David breaks out into praise. Beholding the glory of God increases David's joy and worship of God. It moves him to awe and to wonder. One of the reasons we, we, read, uh, we read our Bibles, one of the reasons we listen to Christian sermons, Christian sermons, one of the reasons we listen to sermons, one of the reasons we, we read Christian books is that we would grow in our knowledge of God so that we'd behold this infinite, great, and glorious God for the purpose of increasing our joy and our worship. For when we come and behold God, we see what Francis Schaeffer said, there are no small people. Now think about that. When we, at the beginning of the sermon, when we were kind of talking about the gods that we create, and when we create gods, they're limited. And when you have a limited God, you have a God who's limited in ability, limited in power, limited in knowledge, and limited in presence. And because they're limited, they're not able to be everywhere at once. They're not able to know all things. And so guess what? There's some people who just get neglected. There's some people who just get overlooked. And maybe you're one of them. Maybe I'm one of them. And can you blame the God, though? There's just not enough of them to go around. He's doing the best he can. But... When we come to the God of the Bible, because he's infinite in knowledge, infinite in presence, infinite in might and power, there are no small people. There's no one who gets overlooked. There's no one who's ignored. He knows every single one of us. Do you know that? Oh, God reveals himself to us so that we would know we are not alone but that he loves us and he cares for us and he's demonstrated his love for us first and foremost by sending his son Jesus Christ to the cross to die for us so we could be saved and have eternal life with him. Oh, David, 
David explodes in joy as he thinks about who this God is and all the implications that that has for us. Number two, a theology of God increases our desire for God's kingdom to be made known here on earth. Now we see this in verses 19 through 22. Now, this part of the psalm is known as imprecatory. Imprecatory is the calling down of God's curses and judgment on his enemies. And when we come to passages like this, I think we often kind of recoil and we say things like, can we say that? Is that okay? Do we actually feel this way? Um, I mean, look at verse 19. He says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. We could say that? How is that true? What? What's being communicated here? Well, Jesus actually says something very similar in Matthew. In fact, let me just read what Jesus says. And I want us to think about this. When teaching his disciples how to pray, Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now just think about that. When Jesus says we're to pray that God's kingdom, that his rule, the perfect rule he has in heaven, he says, make that known here on earth. What's the implication of that? What's he actually asking? You see, to desire God's kingdom and to desire his rule is to desire God's perfect glory and his infinite greatness to be known here on earth and for there to be no sin. For there to be no evil, no pain, no suffering, no rebellion against God. So Jesus is really saying very similar words to what David is saying. David is saying, look, if there's anything that opposes you, anyone who rebels against you, I'm against that, God. I only want your kingdom to be here, your rule. I want only that which loves you. Which is the same thing Jesus is saying when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on here here on earth as it is in heaven. Hear this. As we dig deep into our theology of God, we see the beauty of God. We see his glory and his might. We see his grace and his love and his care and his comfort for us. And as we dive deep into the theology of who our God is, it increases our desire for God to be here, for Jesus to return. It causes us to want his presence here on earth for him to return and make the new heavens and new earth where there'll be no more sin or shame or pain and that we will dwell forever with God. So what we've seen is as we grow in our theology, it increases our joy, increases our wonder, increases our desire for the return of Christ, our desire to physically just be in his presence for all of eternity and the new heavens and new earth. And number three, a theology of God compels us to pursue holiness with even greater zeal. Okay, understanding God increases our desire for our own holiness. Look, look at verse 23 and 24. Here David says this, Search me, O God, know my heart. 
Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, I realize that as we've gone through this psalm, some of you might have become somewhat uncomfortable. I mean, in this text, we read that God knows everything about you and there's no escaping Him. There's no getting away from Him. In our sin, in our shame, that makes us uncomfortable. You see, we want to be known. But we only want to be known to a certain degree because we don't want people to know our secret thoughts, our hurts and our pains that we've experienced or even caused. And so here today, I, I want to especially speak to you if, you if you felt uncomfortable in this sermon, if you felt uncomfortable as, as we have kind of examined more who God is, and his knowledge, and his presence, and his might, and how he knows everything there is about you and me. If that has kind of made you stand back and recoil a little bit, I want to encourage you. Uh, I want to encourage you with the words uh, of a guy who lived back in the 4th century. So this is what Augustine, in his exposition of the Psalms, this is what he said. He said, no matter where you flee, he is still there. You would flee from yourself, would you? Will you not follow yourself wherever you flee? But since there is one even more deeply inward than yourself, there is no place where you may flee from an angered God except to a God who is pacified. There is absolutely no place for you to flee. Do you want to flee from him? Rather, flee to him. Do you hear what Augustine says? This is no way. There's no point, there's no ability we have to ever escape the presence of God. You have more hope fleeing your shadow than you're escaping the very presence of God. And so what Augustine then says, and I think it's, I think it's just brilliant as he ends it. He says, the way we escape the very wrath of God is not by running from God, but by running to God. Do you hear that? The way we escape his wrath is by running to him in faith and confessing our sins and saying, God, I have sinned against you. I have sinned against you. I have lived in rebellion to your will. I've been against your kingdom and I confess my sins and I need forgiveness through your son, Jesus Christ. And by confessing your sins and coming to God in faith through Jesus, you experience his forgiveness, his comfort, his grace, and his love. And you are no longer under his wrath, but he adopts you into his family that you would experience the blessed warmth of his knowledge and his presence and his love and his grace and his mercy. I encourage you, flee to God today. We're all born sinful. We all stand guilty before God. Proverbs 5.21 says, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. God knows everything there is about us. Everything there is. There's nothing you can do that surprises him. And because of his greatness, because of his glory, because of his infinite love and mercy, he's provided the means of grace through Jesus. So I pray that if you do not yet know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, pray and receive him today as your Lord and Savior. Confess your sins and your need for Jesus. Run to Jesus. And, and now let me say this. Let me, 
You might be a Christian. And as we've gone through one, Psalm 139, you've also been made uncomfortable. And you've kind of wrestled with, and God knows everything that I've done. God is always with me. And it's like you, you probably knew those truths, but we often ignore those truths. And what I find is that when, as Christians, there is unrepentant sin in our life, when we know that there are things that we've been doing that are not honorable to God and actually in rebellion to God, and then all of a sudden we come to a passage like this, where all of a sudden we realize God knows what I've been doing. God knows what you've been thinking. God knows what you've been searching on the internet. God knows those phone calls. He knows how you've been looking and talking to the other person at work. He knows that and he sees that. And so, so I want to encourage you. If all of a sudden you've realized, man, there's a level of uncomfortability because you know that there's some sin and shame in your life, then I also just want to encourage you, flee to God. Flee to him today. Just run to him and say, God, I need your grace. I need your forgiveness in my life. And experience the forgiveness of God. Experience the washing that he does for us as he cleanses us and makes us righteous. And know that God is our perfect father. So every time we come to him, every time we ask him for forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive us. So I encourage you, if you don't know God today, flee to him. If you do know God today and you feel that there is, there is a sin within you, flee to him. And let us all, Every day we ought to be fleeing to God and we ought to be echoing David's words and saying, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. Examine me, God, if there's anything in me that is not honorable to you, that is not loving, that does not bring you glory. I ask that you would just examine my heart. Reveal it to me so that I may confess it. Hear this. As David has beheld his God, he wants to be more like God. Do you know that? The more you read the scriptures, the more you're sitting under the very word of God, beholding the God of the Bible, it drives our sanctification. Do you know that? Our theology drives our sanctification. The more we know God, the more we love God, the more we want to be like God. I pray that you know that. It's when we know that God has perfect knowledge of us, that we're comforted, and that we know that he always knows the best way to help us. He encourages us to pray. He encourages us to run to him because he already knows us. And he's present with us and promises to give us the grace and the power needed for whatever situation we are in. I pray that you know that God is with you at all times, even in the most darkest areas, like when you're in your mother's womb or any other time in life. God is with you. Is the more we understand the greatness and the glory of our God, the more we know how to live, how to pray, the more we'll know how to love those around us, be a good father, be a good mother, respect those authorities around us. The more we'll understand the greatness of God, the more we'll understand how to be able to persevere and endure through pain and hardship and suffering. The, the more we understand God, the more we understand how to, how to think about political issues like abortion, because of the value that, the God, that God's word teaches of the unborn child, that we are made in his image, formed by the very hands and power of God. 
The more that we understand God's greatness and his glory, the more that we are comforted that we're never alone and that Jesus is one day returning. And, and our knowledge of God increases our hope in God. That we too would say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, I pray that you flee to God today. Our God is infinite in knowledge, infinite in presence, infinite in might, infinite in love, infinite in grace, infinite in, gr in mercy. This is our God. So let us boldly say, search me, O God. Know my heart. Reveal to me any grievous way and lead me in the way everlasting. May we respond like David and desire to follow God. All the days of our life, looking forward to the day that he returns. And that we will spend eternity with him in the new heavens and new earth, worshiping this God. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you and we, we praise you. Oh God, you are glorious. You are glorious in so many ways. Lord, you are immense. You are omniscient. You are omnipresent. And may those not just be words that just kind of get hung up somewhere. But Lord, I pray that as we've studied Psalm 139, that your infinite knowledge and infinite presence, that those, the goodness of those truths about you would dwell deep within our hearts, providing us comfort and joy and assurance. May they move us in our sanctification, our desire to be more like you. May they cause us to pray and be in our word all the more that we would know you that we live the way that you have called, called us to, that we'd experience your grace and your mercy at all times. Father, we love you and we praise you. I pray again for anyone who doesn't know you that they'd flee to you today. May they flee to you today, experiencing your grace and comfort through Jesus Christ. And there's any Christians, if you're listening to this, and you feel like your sin and shame has been exposed in your own heart, I pray that you would run to God today. Confess your sin. Experience the grace of his forgiveness. Father, we love you in your name, Jesus. Amen.